to Jim on the roof and go around church. Let me pray. We ask, Heavenly Father, that right now you would speak to us by your word. We are delighted and privileged to have you by your spirit teach us about this world that you have created and the people you've made, and especially about the miracle, the mystery of the cross. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the number 2020 has always been associated with perfect vision, 2020 vision. Uh, According to some research I've done by Googling it this morning, uh, it is something that is only in the US because it actually refers to the distance away from the reading chart that you're supposed to be able to read something, which is 20 feet. And so if you're 20-20 vision, then you are able to read the chart from 20 feet according to the standard of 20 feet. Did you know that? I didn't know that. How cool is that? In Australia, it's related to six because it's six metres. So there you go. You want to go to dinner now? I I think we need a bit more than that. But the thing was that 2020 always stood for clarity, didn't it? You know, oh, he's got 2020 vision. She's got 2020 vision. And now we find ourselves in 2020. Have you noticed that? May have taken you to September already, but it's the same number. And when we talk about 2020, we sometimes also refer to it in light of looking backwards, not forwards. You know that expression? Hindsight is 2020 vision. So when you're looking back, there's that extra clarity that you don't have when you're looking forward. And you look backwards and you say, "Ah, I understand why that happened, or I understand why those events occurred the way they did. They didn't make sense at the time. And if I had have known now what I knew then, I might have acted differently, but hindsight is 2020 vision. When we see through things through the eyes of history, we can often see why things have happened. But in all of it, we look back and we can see in those times how it is that God has worked through those difficulties. Sometimes it's clear, sometimes we're still confused. But often that's a way of being comforted. When I was a teenager, I heard a Christian poem that's quite famous. It's called Footsteps in the Sand. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, I don't think there was ever a time in my life that I thought I would read it from the pulpit. But tonight I think I will. It only took me about a minute and a half. But when I heard it read to me as a teenager, young in my Christian faith, it actually resonated with me. And I think it's got something to teach us as we look at the Bible, which is a bit more reliable than a poem. But there's a sentiment to it that I quite am sort of inspired and intrigued by. It goes like this. One night I had a one night I dreamed a dream. I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand and I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. It really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you that you'd walk with me all the way, but I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, My precious child, 
I love you and will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testings when you saw only one set of footprints. It was then that I carried you. It's quite a powerful poem, isn't it? It's kind of quaint. But I remember as a teenager thinking, yeah, that's quite a powerful picture of what it means to, to God, for God to care for us through the tough times. I think as we look back on life, it's clear that we do at times have that 2020 vision. We see how the Lord has worked in our lives. And when, when things have been tough, we think, you know, I, I thought I was alone, but I know that God was with me. Today we're going to hear something in God's word that I think is this times 50 million. It's a whole lot more powerful even than this significant poem. Because we will see how it is that the Lord worked in the life of the Apostle Paul when he was having a really tough time and how through his life we saw that he, in fact, was able to communicate to us the blessings, the promise of blessings that are beyond our even greatest imagination. Our passage today is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. I'm going to read it now, and as I do, here's your little quiz question. The question is this, and there's three parts, equally weighted for Marx. Uh, the, the first is, what is his current situation in life? How does he feel about it? And what's he learned from it? What's his current situation? How does he feel about it? And what's he learned from it? Here it is. Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As he read what I've written, you'll understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he's revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. So you should feel honoured. Well, how'd you go? What's Paul's current situation in life? Did you hear how he feels about it? Uh, did you notice what he learned about it? Well, I'll ask you in just a moment. But let's start off by having a look at the first verse back again. He says, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, 
dot, dot, dot. I didn't put those dot, dot, dots in. That translator of the Bible actually put those dot, dot, dots in for a really good reason, because this is kind of cool. Paul is about to talk about what it means for him to be a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of the Gentiles. And then he kind of like has has like a whoa moment where he stops and he just mid-breath starts to say, wow, you know, how amazing is God and all this stuff and and I want to pray and all of that. And then right at the start of chapter 4, if you've got a Bible in front of you, you can see he picks up saying the same things. So all of chapter 3 is a chance for him to sort of say, la, 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 whoa, and then back into it at the start of chapter 4. The first half of that, whoa, is today, verses 1 to 13. And the second half of that is next week, verses 14 to the end, which is a prayer where he says, wow, I pray that you'll really get the power of God. So he's in this war where he's blown away and he kind of summarizes everything and he just starts bursting out with all this joyful proclamation. You can see it here. And, but before we get onto that, can you see what his situation is in life? What's his situation in life? Someone shout it out. He's a prisoner. He's in prison. Paul is in prison, custody, bound up, not free. Okay, well, we kind of know that. Well, hang on a second. He's just written two chapters of this book, and nowhere has he said, oh, woe is me, I'm locked up in prison. If it so happened that the bad guys came and locked me up because I've been talking about Jesus and I'm stuck in a prison and I write you a letter, I tell you what sinful Jody's going to do. He's going to say, hi, everybody. Oh, prison's horrible. Ah, woe is me. And I'll tell you all about how sad I am and how cold the room is and how bad the food is and all that kind of stuff. And then eventually I'll say, oh, yeah, that's right. I hope you're having a nice time. I hope you're going on with Jesus, right? Paul the Apostle, more godly than me, he doesn't even get to it until chapter 3. He just wants to spurt out all this great stuff about how amazing God is. You notice that, chapter 1 and chapter 2. But bear it in mind, he's there in prison. He's in custody. He's, he is bound up as he's writing these words to the churches in Ephesus. And... It's another fresh reminder that when you follow Jesus, life might get harder, not easier. Because when you consider that the person we follow was executed for preaching the truth, uh, we shouldn't be surprised if our life gets a little harder when we follow him as well. With, With Paul, you see that he is going through a pretty hard time. But it also, we see that God uses surprising things and unusual people as well. And so Paul talks a bit more about his journey. Verse 2 and 3, he said, Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. The Apostle Paul's got a special job, and that is he is an extender. He extends God's grace to the Gentiles. So Jesus, who is God himself, gave Paul this special job to go around and bring salvation to the non-Jews. And it's all a mysterious plan. He talks about it as a mysterious plan. A few weeks ago, I likened it a bit to those murder mysteries you see on TV. Um, 
Only in the final scenes is everything starting to be uncovered. You realise that that person back there, they looked very innocent and nice, but they were actually the ones who was doing all the bad stuff. And we know where they were doing it, and you know, and you know, in the in the lounge room with the candlestick and whatever it is, Cluedo. You can you understand all that stuff right near the end. And so up to that point, it has been a mystery until the point that it's revealed. And you say, ah, I understand why nobody liked her cooking. And away you go. That's what it's like with the story of God's salvation. Because if you were a Jew in the centuries before Jesus, I don't reckon you would have read the Old Testament and picked the fact that the non-Jews would be equals with the Jews. I don't reckon you would pick it. Especially when you've got all those weird food laws and the fact that you couldn't go down to Macca's and have a meal with a Gentile, it wasn't an option. You had to have special food and all this kind of being different to the world. And then to think for a second, if someone said, you know there's going to come a time when there will be no more of that and you'll all be the same and equal with everybody else in the world who trusts in Jesus, the Messiah, I reckon that people go, you're pulling my leg. Nah, not an option. But that's exactly what has happened. And now, as it's revealed to us, you look back on those bits of the Bible and you go, ah, ah, I can see it there. Or, or, ah, that bit there, it now makes sense. That's what we get time and time again. And that's why we needed to have the the whole mystery revealed to us from God. Verse 4 and 5. As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he's revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Paul understands all that stuff, not because he's a particularly smart guy, I reckon he was, but that's not the reason. It's because God said, Paul, I'll tell you how it all works. And he explained it mystery to him. But now as the mystery drama begins at the end, God's spelt it out and we now understand it. I'm not into jigsaw puzzles. It's not my thing. Some of you are and you love it. Good on you. That's great. Knock yourself out. Um, But if you're going to do a jigsaw puzzle and you've just got a bag full of pieces, someone says, I just got a whole bunch of jigsaw pieces and they hand them to you and and it's like... Are they all there? It's at a thousand-piece puzzle. Oh, quite a few. I don't know. Have a go. What's it a picture of? Eh, not really sure. And you're getting the pieces out, and you're trying to put it together, and you're thinking, oh, I'm sure there's pieces missing, and it's really, really hard work. Then someone says, oh, hang on. Here's the second bag with all the missing pieces. Oh, and by the way, here's a giant picture of exactly what it is that you're trying to do. And just to make it easier, you can even see all of the little pieces and the edges on that photo. You go, aha, this is so much easier. And away you go and you make your piece of puzzle and you spend all that time. Then you smash it up and stick it in a box and you do it next holidays. Um, That's okay. It's all right. But can you see that? (laughs) Can you see that if you get the puzzle pieces without the map or the picture, and if you're not even sure if you've got them all, it just takes the puzzle doing to a whole extra level, a whole extra degree of difficulty. The New Testament makes sense of the old. It's as we look at the Old Testament, it's kind of like a bag full of puzzles with some missing and you don't have the picture. And then you get to the New Testament and it's like, here's how it all works. It's nice and simple. It all makes sense. The Holy Spirit gives us, in effect, 
the missing pieces of the puzzle. And he gives us the big picture to know what it, how it all works. And that is why, as Christians, we are very blessed to have the Old Testament. Because with the New Testament, we can now understand the Old Testament in such a rich way. But also, with the Old Testament, we can understand so much more about the New Testament and what Jesus has done and how he's ticking all these boxes. And You're not getting the aha moments unless you've already seen the first two-thirds of the movie, which is the Old Testament. But what is this plan? Well... First half of verse 6 says, this is God's plan. Funny you ask. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news, both of them share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Equal Gentiles and Jews together. Now, you know what this does? It actually helps us make a bit more sense of some of the parables that Jesus said. He often talked about people who were doing stuff and then the others turn up late and they get a bit grumpy and things like that. Uh, in, in Matthew 20, there's a story where Jesus spoke of a boss and this boss said, hey, I've got a lot of work to do around my place. I'll go down to the place where you get people to come from and I'll say, hey, I'll give you a day's pay to come and work on my farm. And a bunch of people turn up and everything's fine. And then the boss goes down a bit later onto the shops and he sees a bunch of other people sitting around needing work. And he says, oh, why don't you come on down as well? And that's, you know, it's late afternoon. By the time they get there, they do the work, the sun sets and, and then he gets out his cash and he pays the people who came later a full day's wages. And then he pays the same amount of money to the people who started earlier on in the day. And the people who had been there all day, they'd be grumpy. It's like, hang on, give 200 bucks to everybody, including these blow-ins at the last minute. Jesus said, friend, haven't, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the, for the, um, didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want to do with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then. And those who are first will be last. That's the context of that bit. Can you see that we now share equally in God's riches? Equally in God's riches. And this makes sense of these people who had been followers of, you know, been in, the, in God's people. And then suddenly there's now all these blow-ins and they say, hang on, it's a bit unfair. But if they really understood how good it is to know Jesus, they would be stoked at the fact that there are these people who are going to get every blessing that they are together. Because we read in the second half of verse 6 that both are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. All of us enjoy the promise of blessings from God together. And so if you are a friend of Jesus, you have got access to all the promise of all the blessings. It's an amazing thing. What are the blessings? You know, some people might get up and bang pulpits and say, you know, follow Jesus, you'll become rich. Follow Jesus, you become healthy. Follow Jesus, you'll be free. And if that's the case, I think the Apostle Paul must have been a real slacker. You know, there he is in prison and he's been beaten up. If only he had a bit more faith, he could be like you, 1-900, whatever, whatever, coming to my telechurch. It's like, hang on a second, that doesn't work for me. doesn't make any sense of this. The blessings are spiritual. They're spiritual blessings. It's the blessing of knowing you have a certainty for eternity. 
the blessing of knowing that you're forgiven by your creator. It's the blessing of knowing that you're deeply, truly loved by Jesus. Amen to that. And what's more, it's the blessing of being in a church full of others who share it. And I, I reckon that's an extra whole level of blessing, being with you guys. That's what God's blessings are like. And so if you haven't got it yet, get on board. You don't want to miss out on this. And you don't want your friends to miss out on it either. So how does Paul extend God's grace to the Gentiles? In verse 7, he says, By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. How does he extend it? Well, we read that he is a servant of God. He is a person who serves him. You can see it there. Other translations will use the word minister. And just to help you nerds out there, you were interested, the, the word is from the Greek diakonos, from which we get the English word deacon, diakonos, deacon. And it's just a word that you could use to translate as minister or as servant or even deacon if you wanted to. And as Lionel Windsor, who's written a great blog on Ephesians, get on board with it if you haven't seen it yet, it's amazing. He, he, he basically says that this word originally referred to a kind of waiter or waitress who would serve the food at a restaurant. And so in the same way, when I go down to the Hungry, mon- hungry Monkey and I ask for a Eggs Benedict or a coffee or something like that, and then I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and then, and then out comes the food, I, there's a deacon who's bringing it to me. They're, they're, they're bringing the food. They're bringing the thing. And, and what ministers do is serve up God's word, now, bringing God's word to the people. That's what ministers do. That's the serving side. Um, uh, that is why, as you can see, he's a servant of God's word. That, that is why I spend so much time trying to do the best job I can to serve you up the best of God's food each week. Uh, because it's, it's really, I mean, it, you can go to a cafe and say, I love the decor, music's pretty cool, but if the food's no good, you're thinking, ah, oh, I'm not coming back. Uh, what ministers are supposed to do is serve good food. And it might be that the seats are uncomfortable or it's a bit cold or hot or what or whatever, but that's okay. It's not the thing. It, the thing is the food, which is God's word. And that's what Paul did. And funnily enough, he's serving up God's word where? In a prison. Thinking, that's going to be a little bit harder. Just as well he's got a smartphone. Apparently not. <laughs> he's got to write down his letters and he's got to give them to somebody. I don't know if he smuggled them out or whether it was that kind of arrangement. Whatever it was, he had to get them down on papyrus and stuff and get them out. And that's how he's doing his preaching. I mean, in our days, you just get out your smartphone and you do Facebook Live and say, hi, coming to you live here from Prison Central. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. No hope. Couldn't do that. And so you'd think that with this privileged job of, of being the guy who is serving up the greatest message of all, that he's obviously going to be a guy who is going to have a great deal. There's obviously got something going for him that's special. Sort of like if God's working out exactly how he's going to work out the best person for the job, what would he do? What is it? Why is he so privileged about that? Well, have a look at verse 8. He says... Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. 
Now, if Paul was an Aussie and he says, I'm the least deserving of all God's people, uh, you'd read that and say, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're just sort of, you know, you're not, you're not talking yourself up. I, I, I remember, I didn't write this down. I remember I, I was listening on the radio once and, and an Australian was being interviewed by, um, about her life and her work and everything like that. And she talked about how she went over to the US. And when she was in the US, she'd say to them, you know, I've just done a, a, a PhD on this particular topic. And they'd say, wow, that's awesome. How did you go? And she said, oh, you know, it was all right. And their response was, oh, you must be so disappointed that he just went okay and he didn't go really, really well. And she's like, oh, no, no, I, no, I actually got first class honours in my PhD. I mean, I went really, 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 really well. You know, uh, That's sort of one of those cross-cultural things. Is Paul just saying, you know, although I'm the least deserving, you know, no, he's the least deserving. When he says it, it's true. This is the guy who went around killing Christians, okay? That's least deserving. Uh, he, he, is the le- he genuinely is the least deserving of anyone. If you want to make it big in the kingdom of Jesus, right, you don't go around killing Jesus' disciples. That's not the way to get a job with Jesus. But in an amazing way, in a mysterious way, Paul was given this privilege by God. You know, he's the last person that you'd expect to be an ambassador of Jesus to the Gentiles. It's a bit like choosing an atheist to be an archbishop. It just doesn't have any, doesn't make any sense. But we need to see that God's recruitment policies are sometimes a little bit different to ours and a little bit unexpected. He is the most unlikely Christian ambassador of all. But God knew what he was doing, no surprise. And here's what Paul had to do. Verse 9. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. What's his job? It's, It's spoiler alert. It's to tell everybody how it all works, all the stuff from the Old Testament, how it all works. Noticing there, it says that it would it had been kept secret from the beginning by the Creator. The message was actually hidden by God. It's sort of like the presents on Christmas Day. They've been wrapped up. Then it's like, oh, are my parents evil by wrapping up the presents? No. Well, they might be evil for other reasons, but not for that. Um, maybe what they put inside, if it's just empty, the box is empty, then maybe they're evil. But no, it's they've wrapped it up because Christmas Day is a day when you open up the paper and it's fun and it's like, woo. That's kind of what it's like with the whole message, the mystery of the gospel. It's been kept wrapped up in nice little paper and they've carried it around with through all the Jewish sort of stuff. And then finally, Paul, of all blokes, gets the chance to rip the paper off and say, "Woo! look at this. And they go, wow, it's amazing. It's a message that was hidden by God. But what's the pe- what was the purpose? Verse 10. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What did he, what was his plan? His plan was to use the church to display his wisdom. Did you see that? It's very interesting. He chose to use the church to display his wisdom. 
If you thought it might have been a bit unusual that he would use the Apostle Paul to promote Jesus' ministry, you might also be thinking it'd be a fairly odd thing to use the church to promote Jesus' ministry, given that we don't always... You know, it doesn't always work out, the church stuff, that well. It's certainly in society. We've seen it, haven't we? Is it a good idea? Absolutely. Because the church is an absolute miracle. It's an absolute miracle. We are just like Paul. We are totally undeserving of any grace. We're all natural rebels against God. And yet in his kindness, the Father sent the Son to die on our behalf. Our sin is swapped for Jesus' sinlessness. And we're forgiven by God if we sincerely ask for it. This is amazing stuff. That is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle that all of us, none of us deserve to be here. All of us are natural born enemies of God. And yet you are saved if you've believed in Jesus, as am I. What a miracle. Now, we do know that Christians have done some really horrible things in the name of Christ. The apologetic documentary, For the Love of God, uh, carries the subtitle, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. It's not a bad title. The website describes the movie this way. It says... Christian history is full of violence, corruption and oppression. The history of the church offers plenty of ammunition to its critics. Crusades, inquisitions, witch hunts, the oppression of women. This documentary confronts the worst of what Christians have done and also traces the origin of Western values like human rights, charity, humility and non-violence back to the influence of Jesus. Uh, There was a mini version of it on the ABC. Then there was a movie-length version, and then there's a whole series of stuff. If you just Google For the Love of God movie, then you'll find the, the website. It's a clever little angle, and I think it makes sense because it says, yeah, we're not going to hide the fact that it's not always been good what the church has done, to say the very least. But we also want to say, you know, the church is amazing. Christians actually are a walking testament to amazing stuff from God. And I think we mustn't be ashamed of that. You see, sometimes there's a tendency for us to say, I want my friends to know about Jesus, so we'll we'll take them off to some sort of other little course or, or little instructional thing so that then they eventually just see Jesus and the Bible and stuff and then get converted, and then I'll finally bring them home to my family. And you bring them to church. It's like, I'm really sorry, but it'll be okay. Trust me, it's worth it. No. I know that some of you guys have come to church for the very first time before you've checked out anything to do with Jesus, and here you are and you say... There's actually something pretty special about you guys. I think it's a very powerful way of of doing it. And and no wonder God's using the church in that way. Because remember what Jesus said in these words from John 13. He said, I'm now giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Pretty famous. What's the next verse? Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. It's the church. That is the powerful proclamation to the world. Our love for each other is a powerful word to the world. And that's because God chose to use the church to display his wisdom to the world. And he talks about the wisdom in its rich variety. Um, Other translations have used the word manifold. 
um, mini fold like I think rich variety probably works better unless you're working on engines but uh, it's a multi dimensional wisdom this same guy Lionel Windsor he's he actually says he's come up with six different dimensions to God's wisdom. You can read the blog, but there's a time dimension where his wisdom's been shown through history, and then there's a knowledge dimension where his secret's been revealed. There's a personal dimension where we're personally adopted and we are blessed. There's a social dimension where all of God's people are reconciled and are at peace. There's an international dimension where all the nations are now included. And there's a cosmic dimension, I love that word, cosmic dimension where the spiritual powers and authorities see his rule. It's a manifold or rich variety. It's just massive amounts of wow wisdom, basically. It's massive, it's multidimensional. And verse 11, this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It was always supposed to happen, and it was always going to happen through Jesus. And no wonder, as Paul is starting to do the next bit of his letter, he just stops for a whole chapter and goes, whoa, and this is what it is. Because all of this plan has an impact on each and everyone who knows Jesus. Verse 12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. When you believe in Jesus, you can boldly approach God with confidence. Boldly. Uh, It's when you kind of like, when you come to God's home, you don't need to knock. You don't need to ring ahead. Hey, God, I'm popping around. Can I, are you going to be there? You don't need to tread carefully around the place. A few years ago, Mandy and I uh, were invited to stay with a Christian brother and sister when we went interstate for a conference. I'd never met them before. Uh, I spoke to them on the phone, and had a text message and, and so on. And anyway, we, we turn up, ring the bell, they greet us at the door, hello, hug, and into their house. And then they said, here's the key and here's the code to get into our house. And, and best of all, here's the fridge. We had fridge rides. Yes, the fridge rides. How good is that, right? And it was quite quite something, really, to be there with others who we knew were believers in Jesus and for them to show that hospitality. I, I still felt a little bit weird getting up early and having breakfast and just getting helping myself to the fridge, but I had to get over it because that was what you do when, when they, that wonderful, beautiful hospitality is shown. I think that's a little bit what it's like with Jesus. You become friends with Jesus, he says, oh, just come on in, pop in, you're here, help yourself to the fridge. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to touch and break anything. It's like, you, this is your place. Confidence, boldly approaching God. Have you thought about it that way with Jesus? Have you sort of like, oh, got to be careful. You know, he, he might just get a bit grumpy at me or he might snap at me or I might bump into something or I might, you know, he might not like me if he really hears me or gets to know me. No, that's all rubbish. You walk right into God's kingdom and help yourself to the fridge. It's awesome. That is the benefit, and that's what is the wow in all of this. And because of this, because of this wow, this bold and confidence in boldness and confidence with God, Paul's imprisonment actually makes sense. And so in our final verse, Paul says, So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. If we hadn't looked at all that stuff before, you, you might still be scratching your head about the fact that the main man of Christianity is stuck in a prison, 
bit awkward. It's like you, you walk up to a friend and say, so who's the guy who's teaching you all this stuff? Oh, it's this guy, he's in the big house. Oh, really? It's uh, What's the deal? How, how does that work? But the thing is that when we do understand true Christianity, we see that Paul's sufferings are actually his glory. And not just his glory, they're our glory. See what it says here? So you should feel honoured. It is, literally, it is for your glory that he's in prison. Wow. Paul's sufferings actually make us feel honoured. And if Paul hadn't been given the mysterious plan for the church, you'd think that everything was a big, dismal failure. But Jesus said, here's the plan. Here are the missing puzzle pieces. Here's the picture of the jigsaw. Knock yourself out. It's kind of like he has given that wonderful revelation. And so Paul could now look back on all of salvation history with 2020 vision. He had hindsight. He had 2020 vision. And as we go through the year 2020, we're going to go through some trials and tribulations as well. Different reasons than the Apostle Paul was put in prison, obviously. But we might think that because life is going badly, um, it's just because God's deserted us. You know, has, has God got to 2020 and just got a bit fatigued in ruling the world and said, you know, oh, I might just go and pop out and have some long service leave. And he comes back and says, ooh, bushfires. Ooh, coronavirus. Ouch, sorry. I might leave someone responsible behind the wheel next time before I go and leave. I'll get a good locum. Uh, No, not at all. This is not the way. The Lord is in control of everything. 2020 vision, our vision of 2020 needs to be that the Lord is in control. Because if you can throw Paul in prison, who's his main preacher, all sorts of things can happen in this year. God hasn't deserted us as we go through hardship this year. And what's more, if Jesus doesn't return before the end of the year, which we are praying he would, we get to next year or the year after, we look back to 2020 and say, wow, Amazing things happened through 2020. At the time, not loving it, love to be able to sing in church, amongst many other things. But we can see that God used the crisis to bring people to Christ. That is what happens when you look back and you see his hand in things. God's plan is mysterious, but it is wonderful. The greatest plan of all was what was wrapped up under the Christmas tree. Well, actually, under the Easter tree. And as we opened it up, we saw that all of the salvation of the Old Testament was filled, filled in Christ in a way we didn't understand until we ripped off the paper. And we have seen that God has been in it all. That's true in a big case. It's also true in a little case. That as we look back at the footsteps in the sand, God's carried us. God's hand's been in everything. And God's got the whole world in his hands. What a plan. What a salvation. Let me pray. Our loving Father, we are amazed at the way that the whole plan of salvation in the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus. Wow. And we thank you for using the Apostle Paul to bring that word to people like us and making us equal sharers of every blessing because we are united with Christ. We thank you for that amazing privilege and pray that we too would be people who would share it with others, that we would minister the gospel of Jesus to others, serving it up like we get it served up. 
and that we do that so that we can rejoice with you in how you are working in this world so that all would be seeing your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Church.